Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started with an interview with Ray Comfort on Demons. Ray, you and I typically get together and we get to talk about the amazing evangelistic work that you do. And over the years, that's how I've gotten to know you is getting to work with you in that regard. But there's another subject that's part of our faith that I think sometimes is either overlooked or overemphasized depending on who you're dealing with. But I've had a focus of feeling like this issue of evil, the spiritual evil, is sometimes ignored. You know, as an evangelist, why is it important that we have a healthy understanding of what this spiritual evil actually consists of? Well, I like that word healthy because you're right. There is excess and uh, abuse when it comes to the whole thought of uh, exorcism and um, demons. Okay, so I just wanted to let you know. I, I say this from time to time. I, I have a feeling that some of you don't believe me, but I will just keep saying it again. And maybe one day it will ring true, because it is. I don't necessarily go out looking for stuff on demons. I've got a whole um, browser full of tabs open on videos about demons. That happened kind of all at once. Now, we just recently had Halloween. Okay. So, I... I get that that might be a part of it, but this is just true all the time in Christendom. I was taking stories from Christian news, from Christian headlines, from the latest sermons and lectures and videos done by Christians. This is just a major topic that Christians like to talk about. This is a major part of Christianity, of mainstream, everyday Christianity. And so I had been putting some of this off because this started before Halloween. I'd been putting some of this off for a while because I don't want to flood you with too much demon crazyology. But I also have to be true to what Christians actually care about and what they're talking about. This is just part of it. Ray Comfort. But the Bible is full of it, especially the Gospels. Jesus was casting out demons all over the place, speaking to them, asking for the name of legion. Uh, Paul in Ephesians says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He said, We wanted to do this, preach the Gospel to the, to the Thessalonians. He said, But Satan hindered us. And so, and also, <laughs> Jesus said, These signs will follow them that believe. And my. Okay, I just want to go back uh, to one of those. He's right, first of all, that demons are all over the New Testament. So, in a sense, Christians are right to superserve this topic because the New Testament does. But the last one that he uh, mentioned uh, that Paul wanted to go and preach to uh, the Christians at Thessalonica, but Satan prevented them. Really? Satan's that powerful? He can prevent Paul from preaching the gospel to people. Christians, does that make sense to you? Satan can prevent Paul from preaching the gospel to you. They will cast out demons. So this isn't something that's unbiblical. It's something that's fantastic in the truest sense of the word. It just seems like fantasy. It doesn't seem real. 
but we know it's real, both from scripture and from experience. Okay, hang on there. It does sound like fantasy. I agree with you, Ray Comfort. You're 100% right. But look at the two ways he says that we know about it. We know about it from scripture and from experience. I'm going to throw out scripture. I'm just going to toss that out on its proverbial ear. Because the fact that something is written in a book without evidence is is simply not itself evidence. We can't we can't qualify that. And I know that Christians believe that we can qualify that, but uh, that's that's simply not uh, useful. So by experience, he says, you know, we we know about demons by experience. I've tried to experience demons. And so what I know about demons by experience is that they don't exist. Um, tell me more about this experience. Has this experience been very well documented so that we know the difference between, say, oh, a demon possessing someone and schizophrenia? Uh, have you done that work? Uh, Ray, tell me about these experiences that are so obviously and clearly demonic and that could not be explained by uh, natural phenomena. I do not know about demons through experience. Anyone in the audience? Do you? Well, and it's also interesting because culture, and I find this fascinating, is absolutely obsessed with these issues, right? I mean, Hollywood churns out, and they're not doing it from a biblical perspective 99.9% .9 of the time, but movie after movie about, you know, ghosts, and I'll put that in quotes, ghosts and demons. And you know, this is a topic, I think, because people, A, they're curious about it, but B, people have experienced things that they can't explain. Oh, okay. So people have experienced things that they can't explain. Therefore, demons? What? Is this the demon of the gaps? <laughs> Just curious. Look, uh, I'm going to agree with this guy. I don't even know his name. I don't care. Um, it's, it's CBN. Um, I'm going to agree with him on at least one thing, though. Uh, Atheist crazies are just as crazy, if not crazier, than religious crazies. I have always said this, okay? Christians do not have the copyright on crazy. Now, I don't think that most Christians are crazy, but the ones that are, are really crazy. <laughs> the, the, the Christian pool of crazy is deep, all right? It's deep and wide, but the crazy outside of religion is even deeper and even wider. And I believe that part of it is just because with religion, there are some boundaries anyway that you have to work within. Now, they're big, wide boundaries, okay? <laughs> um, but there are some boundaries uh, beyond which, you know, your typical Christian wouldn't go. On the side of skepticism, there are no boundaries. Sky's the limit. In fact, the sky's not even the limit 
<laughs> our crazy knows no bounds. And so it sort of fed this intrigue, even in the secular world. Um, but but I want to ask, because you, one of your many books, your book, Out of the Comfort Zone, you know, you and I had talked offline and you said, hey, I want you to check out, you know, chapter 10 in this book. And, you know, I went back to the book and read chapter 10. And really, it recounts some of your experiences early on in ministry where you were dealing with spiritual evil. And I love the way you wrote it. I thought it was incredible sort of journeying through your lens, what you experienced. But one of the stories was about this man named John, and you were at a youth church camp. You were speaking there, and he came to you. Tell us a little bit about what he had to say and what you experienced with him. Yeah, um, this happened 40 years ago. It was like the last century. And uh, I had to read the book, too, to remember exactly what happened, because I want to get it right. And I like to say there's no exaggerations on my part. I believe all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Liars won't inherit the kingdom of God. And so I'm very careful to, to not to exaggerate and to speak the truth. But I was at a youth camp. Hang on. So he had to look this up, this 40-year-old event, in a book that he wrote. Um, okay, that's fine. Uh, to check the the details of it, assuming that he wrote the details correctly. But he said something very interesting here about exaggeration. He wanted to make sure he didn't exaggerate because all liars would have their part uh, in the lake of fire. Uh, And so he thinks of exaggeration in storytelling to be a lie, the kind of lie that gets you burnt. And yet we have Christian academics, such as uh, my friend Randall Rouser, who would describe much of the Old Testament's description of events as glorified exaggerations, just, you know, locker room talk and the like. You know, those things really didn't happen that way. This is just how the writers talked. They were just exaggerating events, right? This is how they told stories. Uh, You know, uh, we have some New Testament uh, uh, scholars in the academic world who say the same thing about Jesus stories that, you know, maybe not all of it was literally. These are, you know, paraphrases and, yes, exaggerations, you know, in uh, like hero stories. So does that mean that the authors of the Bible also will have their part in the lake of fire? Or does Ray Comfort actually believe that every detail of what is written in the Bible is absolutely without varnish, without exaggeration, gospel truth? This is uh, just a couple of now, these incidents is the book of a, a number that happened to me, but I was at a youth camp. A young guy named John came to my... At a youth camp. Yeah, a lot of this crap goes down at youth camps, you know, where people's brains are not fully developed. Hormones out of this world. Body disproportionate with their brains and experience. Brains not developed. Yeah. That's a perfect target for all kinds of craziness. Cabin, and he said, I've got some problems. Can I talk with you? And so he sat on the bunk, and we began to talk. And I think I said, I'll pray for you in a minute. And as I began to pray, 
he slumped onto the floor on his back and back arched on his back and began sliding across the room and screaming and groaning and having a spirit of perception. I perceived this was not normal human behavior. So I began to pray exercising prayer and demons began to manifest. And afterwards, uh, some guy come to the room and he said, because he heard the noise, and I said, go and get a drink of water for John. And he came back to himself because he was in a blackout state. Okay, hang on. So he said an exercising prayer. Would someone please give me an example of an exercising prayer? And if it's that easy to cast out a demon by just saying a prayer, what is all this nonsense about exorcism? Someone just say a prayer for Pete's sake. And just what are we what are we what are we doing with all these rituals? Just say the damn exercising prayer and have a cup of tea. And I said, John, what have you been into to get like this? And he Whoa. Whoa, victim blaming much? Said he had been listening to heavy uh, occultic rock music. Hang on. What is occultic rock music? What? Uh, just give me an album. Give me the name of an album and I will go listen to it. You know, I've got, um, you know, Apple Music. Uh, you know, I, I think I've got a free version of Spotify. I've got an account with them that I'd never use, but I mean, I will be able to find it somewhere. Will someone give me the title, point me to the title or even a link if you've got it of occult music? Is it, is it categorized that way in genre or is it just called country music? And drinking blood. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to the blood here in a minute. I'm still stuck on the music. I, I was a musician once upon a time, uh, back when I was young and still alive. And, um, yeah, I, I've, I've listened to all kinds of music. I've played, uh, all kinds of music. I've produced all kinds of music and I am not aware of any music that is just particularly occult in a way that if you play this music, if you listen to this song, devil's gonna get you. I've listened to my share of Black Sabbath. It ain't no devil got me. <laughs> I don't, so I don't, how does this work exactly? Uh, if you're trying to listen to some occult music and you get, let's say Black Sabbath, which, which is just too tame, it, it's not this cult music, does it not work? Are the chords not right? Are the harmonics not right? Does it have to be, you know, is there some science behind this? <laughs> that certain music opens the door to the devil? Because if you ask me, heavy metal isn't even close. Uh, all seriousness, if there was any kind of occult music out there, I'd say it was gangster rap. I think it's some of the worst stuff that has been inflicted on any society or culture, I almost never hear someone like Ray Comfort talking about that. Which isn't kind of normal. And him and his girlfriend under the influence of marijuana. Wait a minute. Hang on. Okay. So they were drinking blood. I didn't want to get back to that. 
nailed under the influence of marijuana. More and more is coming about this story that makes me think there may have been something going on that's not demonic. Uh, now, there was a time in my life when I would have said, if you're just drinking blood by the cup full, you're probably mentally ill and you should see a doctor. But then that would have maligned the many cultures out there. I guess I watch the Food Network. <laughs> the many cultures out there that actually drink blood. Apparently, it's not terribly bad. I don't know. I don't know enough uh, about it. I'm not going to drink it. I'm grossed out by the idea. I don't think it's a sin. I mean, our our good uh, friends across the pond. I mean, they have things like blood pie and blood sausage. You know what? There's actually blood involved there. I don't. I don't think there's any uh, any thought that somehow. British society is a cult because they have blood-based foods. And let me just say, we all drink blood. Every one of us are vampires. We have been in the past. We are now and probably will be in the future. Just tell me if this hasn't happened to you. You prick your finger with a pen or with something and the first thing you do is you put your finger in your mouth and you go, you just drank blood. You just intentionally drank blood. And you liked it. <laughs> you didn't spit it out. <laughs> so it's just a little blood. Look, you were trying to stop the bleeding, you know, uh, when things hurt, you know, we tend to, you know, wrap it, hold it, put it in our mouth if we can, if we can get there. So, um, yeah, don't think about that one too much. All right. Get your minds out of the gutter. Um, so, I mean, drinking blood, it's kind of a thing that we all have done and do and will do. But you might say, well, those are such small amounts of blood. Maybe those just let in demons. <laughs> so I don't, how does it work? How does, how does it work that if you drink some blood, that a demon comes with it? Because isn't the central theme of the Catholic Church that they get together every week and drink blood? Is, is, am I wrong about that? Do I have that wrong? If drinking the blood of a freshly slaughtered pig is bad, how much worse is it to drink the blood of a slaughtered human and that it magically keeps replenishing? That sounds pretty occult to me. And let's not beat up on Catholics too much. Because every Protestant has some version of the idea of eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. So how does that work? Uh, drinking blood is okay if it's your blood. Not too bad if it's in a meal that's delicious. But it's bad if you just, you know, I don't know, drink it as an amuse-bouche. How does, how does that work? It, never mind. Maybe they were mentally ill. 
Also, what was that about marijuana? But go to a butcher and get blood and drink it. And it's because Satanism and the occult is all founded upon rebellion, a rebellion against God and against everything good and wholesome. And God. Rebellion against everything good and wholesome. Let me find my satanic manual and see if I can find chapter and verse for that. It says blood is sacred, so they drink blood to desecrate it. Okay, so the Bible says blood is sacred, and so a Satanist drinks it to desecrate it. But what, when a Christian drinks it, it's okay? Um, God loves children. Just let the children come to me. They sacrifice children. God Wait, hey, whoa. Hang on. I promise we're going to get through this video eventually. God loves children. I could just stop there for a moment. God loves children. God has loved so many children to death, including the ones that die from natural abortion. We call them miscarriages, by the way. That's on God. Those are women desperately trying to have children <laughs> by and large um god says nah nah that one uh i don't have a body for that one that one's gonna be a miscarriage <laughs> i find that one inconvenient um including the children that god ordered armies to rip out of the bellies of pregnant women yeah that's that's god god loves those children including the children that God targeted when he targeted the firstborn, including the children that were killed with the 70,000, uh, you know, that the death angel uh, killed for a punishment for David. David does wrong, so he kills 70,000 innocent people. Um, they weren't innocent. What are you talking about? Nobody's innocent. Uh, God loves children, including the countless number of children who died in the flood. God loves children. God doesn't love the enemy children, not the ones that, um, you know, were ordered to be grabbed and dashed against the stones or, you know, all of the boy children from the enemy camp that were to be put to death. He does love the girl children, though, somewhat better. God loves children, except the ones who make fun of his favorite people. God has oft in monstrous ways, just in the Bible. This is not headcanon. This is, this is written down in the Bible. Has oft more children than New York's finest pizza parlors full of the most enthusiastic Satanists could ever do in a lifetime. It's, it's not possible for all of the Satanists that ever were and are and ever will be to catch up with God when it comes to the slaughter of children. Oh, but God loves children. Thanks for clarifying that, because it wasn't really clear from reading the Bible. But that's just the first part of what he said. The second part of what he said here, let me play it again. Let's see if I can do it. He says, 
God loves children. Says, let the children come to me. They sacrifice children. God. They sacrifice children. Where is your data on this? Do you have any data to support this accusation that children are being sacrificed to Satan? Who is doing the sacrificing? Why, why are they not in jail? Why don't, what's going on? Do, do we just get to make up these things and say them in a religious context without any validation whatsoever and it just be believed in, that it's okay to smear these nice, innocent Satanists? Says, cover the human body so they have their satanic rituals naked often. Okay, wait a minute. So God says to cover the human body so they have satanic rituals naked. Is anyone starting to wonder where Ray Comfort is getting his source material? Has he been to one too many frat parties? And so it's all founded on rebellion, and that's what he'd been into, and that's what had opened the door to demons. So I, I have a number of questions here. The first one being, you know, here you are. I, I'm sure you're thinking you're going to have a normal conversation with this guy, with John, about what he's going through. When he collapsed to the floor and started moving around the room, what was going through your mind and your heart in the in those moments as you were watching that unfold? Hey, CBN interviewer, what was going through your mind when you asked that question? I mean, honestly, this is CBN, Christian uh, Broadcast Network, uh, 700 Club kind of stuff. Okay, this is uh, what I would easily call the deep end of the kook theology pool. Okay, uh, so... Uh, consider the source. But I just want you to consider the question. The question isn't to ask Ray Comfort to validate somehow this event. He didn't ask, do you have pictures from the event? Do you have a written statement from this person at the time? Uh, who else was in the room that we could interview to corroborate this story? You know, that's what you would get from, you know, journalism, right? <laughs> um, this guy just says, what was going through your mind when this guy's magically sliding across the floor? Because he just believes it. Why does he believe it? Because Ray Comfort said it. And Ray Comfort wouldn't lie, right? I mean, Ray Comfort said in this very interview that he would never exaggerate. So we just believe it. This is what passes for Christian epistemology in a massive part of today's church. Well, I missed out one detail. Saliva from his mouth was coming out with such velocity, it was hitting a chest of drawers at least six or eight feet from him. It was just weird. You know, that body fluid has been known to ejaculate from males for six to eight. Never mind. I'm sorry. Um, I'm such an ass sometimes. What was going through my mind is, yikes, what is happening? Because I'm in, I live in a natural world. If you think it sounds fantastic, think of me. I was right in the middle of like a horror movie. Uh, but I'd experienced it before in other instances, so I knew what to do, and I knew it was biblical, and, um, and so I was able to keep my, my brain from going, getting fried. But it really— how did, how did you know that it was biblical? What exactly was the test that you applied to that? I, I don't—anyway. It is quite— horrific if you look at it naturally without the knowledge that 
God is with you. Well, and, and, you know, the thing about this, too, that the Hollywood movies, this is sort of where they leave it a lot of times, right? The, the evil wins. The person is overtaken and, you know, chaos ensues. And yet in this case, you said a prayer, an, an exercising prayer um, in this moment. Talk a little bit about that, because I think one thing people don't realize is that there there is an ability to heal and beat this through Jesus, right? Wait a minute. I've seen uh, lots of demonic Hollywood movies and TV shows. Heck, there was like 17 seasons of Supernatural where the the good guys win. What, what the heck is he talking about? Oh, absolutely. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Uh, I don't believe a Christian can be demonically possessed. He can be oppressed. The Apostle Paul spoke of... Okay, I just want you to remember that. What the sun sets free is free indeed. So, you know, if they are freed from demons, they can't be possessed again. Just hold that thought. Let's see if consistency lasts throughout the course of this short interview. Satan uh, sending an angel, an angel of Satan to buffet him. And so we all have battles with demonic forces, with thoughts entering our head. But um, when a, someone becomes a Christian, they are set free. And I've got to say this so everyone gets it in perspective what we're talking about. All these things happened 40 years ago. I haven't prayed exercising prayer for 40 years. I don't have a deliverance ministry. And that's because in 1982, I had a revelation. And this was a revelation, and we can talk about it later if you wish. But the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And if Satan isn't fleeing from someone, I believe it's probably because they're not totally submitted to God. And this is... Excuse me. Victim blame much? Honestly, did you just hear what he said? I... <laughs> I don't want to play it again, but I will um, reiterate it. Look, I used to uh, cite this passage all the time when I was a preacher. So he's not really out of bounds by citing this particular passage of Scripture, but I just want you to think about the implications. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so if the devil isn't fleeing from you, it's because you're not resisting him, right? Except Paul couldn't preach to the Thessalonians because the devil was buffeting him. Maybe Paul wasn't resisting enough. I don't know. How does, how does that work exactly? But beyond the silly theology, this starts to get into something that's a very real part of the Christian psyche and the Christian social structure in many circles. I'll be the first to acknowledge this is not true in all circles, but in many circles. When a person is having some kind of problem, and if, you know, the church or some group of Christians say, well, that's a spiritual problem that you're having, and therefore the real problem is that you're letting the devil in and you're not resisting him. It's your problem. You're not resisting him. Your rape. You didn't resist the devil. You, you introduced that situation and you allowed that situation into your life where it could happen. Oh, yeah, your family was brutalized by gang violence. Well, what was going on in your life? Why didn't you resist uh, the devil? 
You see, Christians have to go to this. They have to say this kind of thing so that God can never be implicated in truly awful things. Yeah, when bad things happen to you, it's because you didn't resist the devil enough. Why? Often people that I've prayed exercising prayer for some time, when I've spoken to them, they've got bitterness in their heart or anger or resentment towards their parents. Um, that's one way to get spiritual problems is to hate your father, hate your... Wait, how, whoa. You can get spiritual problems by hating your father. Let me just ask you, let's just poll the audience here. You know, post your answer in the comments if you like. Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Log in your Discuss account and discuss away. You can shoot me an email, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. I'll get to it. Can you think of any good reason why a person might be angry or bitter toward their father? That's the question for today. Father. Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Honor your father and mother that all may be well with you and your days may be long upon the earth. Wick okay. Honor your father and mother. I'm going to fix this passage. Get my pen. Okay. Honor people who are worthy of honor. Period. Fixed it. Because you know what? Lots of fathers, mothers are included in here, but you know what I'm getting at. Lots of fathers do truly despicable things to their sons and their daughters. Oh, their daughters. The wrong thing to say is honor your father or else you will be opening up your life to demonic oppression and or possession. By honoring their father, they have already lived a life of demonic oppression. You goddamn fool. Commanded to honor our parents. And if you hate your father, that's opening the door to demons. The apostle Paul spoke of having bitterness in your heart. And then he says, but we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Bitterness can give a stronghold to the enemy. And so... Wait a minute. Stronghold. Stronghold alert. Calling Sarah. Stronghold explanation. Please, you know what to do. We should not give place to the devil. That's what the Bible says. Give no place to the devil. If the devil has place, we're giving it to him. Remember? Right. Yeah, that's, that's what I just said. If the devil has place, it's not because, you know, we got, I don't know, assaulted by a gangster. It's because we voluntarily gave that person a place in our lives to assault us. Because that, that person is obviously acting on the... Uh, on behalf of the devil. And if we had given no place to the devil, if we had not permitted him, given permission, 
then these things wouldn't have happened. You know, these are the same Christians who say, after we skeptics repeatedly say, yeah, we actually don't believe in your hell. And they turn around and interpret that as, well, look, you voluntarily want to go to hell. And God's just fulfilling your desire. Satan goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word may is a word of permission. Right, because people who are devoured by roaring lions give them permission to devour them. Oh, there's a lion over there. And I could get into this unlocked car with the keys and drive away quickly, but instead I'm going to give permission to the roaring lion to come and devour me. It's not a word, it's just a, it means permission. If you are in Satan's territory, if you're lying or stealing or looking at porn or blaspheming and doing things you know are morally wrong. Hang on, looking at porn? Looking at porn would get you infested by demons? What does it take for a guy to get infested by demons? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, I've, I've resisted the devil, but I've also looked at porn. <laughs> I've, I've worn crosses. I've looked at, for, at porn with people wearing crosses and doing other things with crosses. What does it take to, <laughs> to kill one of these demons to possess you? <laughs> Lord knows I've tried. Where's my Ouija board? <laughs> You're opening the door. You're giving foothold to the devil. And hang, hang on. Okay, that was the sound of me opening the door. <laughs> it's very, very important. This is what changed everything. It's very important that someone has a genuine conversion, that they're confronted with the moral law, the Ten Commandments, as Jesus confronted sinners, so they see what sin is. Sin is lust. It's committing adultery in the heart. It's lying and stealing and blasphemy and dishonoring your parents. Once someone truly repents, they submit to God, resist the devil, he flees from them, we have victory over them. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So that's right. Greater is he that is in us, except when you look at porn. And then the spirit just shrivels up. The victory you have against the spiritual darkness. So I have two questions off of that, because let's talk about John really quickly. You know, based on your experience with him, would you have seen what he was going through as an oppression or a possession, what would what was your take on what was? Boy, I, I really don't know because way back then I didn't have the knowledge I have now about genuine repentance and closing the door. But I know that there are a lot of particularly young people that have come under the sound of the the uh, modern gospel, which says, "Give your heart to Jesus; He'll fix your problems." Okay, so give your heart to Jesus. Isn't that a good message? That leaves the door open for the enemy. Or is the foolish thing to believe that he would fix your problems? Because there's no crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's no genuine repentance. There's no godly sorrow, which brings about repentance. So you really have to be deep into self-loathing. You got to feel so bad about yourself before you can have true repentance. That's healthy. That's why so many... Young people have so many problems spiritually because they're not brought to a place of genuine repentance and faith in Christ. And and what you said there is really interesting because, you know, 
I talk to a lot of different people with different viewpoints on all of these terms, right? You bring up the term exorcism, deliverance. Everybody has a different definition of what they think these things mean. And some people react. It's just like with the rapture, right? You talk about the rapture and people get either really worked up or really excited about it, depending on who you're talking to. With deliverance, I almost feel like that term is the new rapture in terms of it's a new thing. It's not a new thing, but it's a thing people are fighting about now. They're arguing about it within the church and there's deliverance ministries There are films coming out showing it. And then there are people who would say, you don't need to go through deliverance. You, you have a genuine repentance, right? Everything you just talked about, that's not needed. If you're truly, you know, making the devil flee and you're fleeing from him, you're not gonna have to worry about it. I don't want to get you in trouble, but I am curious to know on I'm that front. I'm already in trouble. I you're am in, in trouble. trouble. <laughs> where, where do you stand on that deliverance from? And you know, when I say deliverance, I mean the ministries that are centered on giving Christians in particular deliverance. Yeah, like you said, if you want to split a church, just stand up and say, let's talk about prophecy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. If you want to split a church, let's say, let's stand up and talk about prophecy. In the comments this week, friend of the show, an extraordinary guest on the show. I keep saying that. Just go back and listen to all the shows where he's on. Mac Attack uh, made a comment when responding to Brian I, I believe it was him, something to the effect that uh, prophecy was uh, a major proof of God, one of the proofs uh, that the Bible is true or that God is good or something to that effect. I don't want to butcher it. Uh, too much. I think you get the idea. And he made the statement that prophecy was essentially accessible to anyone. Really? Yeah. Like you said, if you want to split a church, just stand up and say, let's talk about prophecy. Hmm. Yeah. Like you said, if you want to split a church, just stand up and say, let's talk about prophecy. Huh. Really? Yeah. Like you said, if you want to split a church, just stand up and say, let's talk about prophecy. Okay. <laughs> And it's the same with this whole deliverance thing. All I can say is this is from experience. I found myself at churches after I'd preached, praying for people for hours. And I found it utterly exhausting. I mean, yeah, because who wants to pray for hours? That is that is really tiresome. Of course, Paul says pray without ceasing. That's got to be pretty exhausting, too. Until I understood that that person has to close the door themselves. Otherwise, you're going to get... Remember, um, the, Jesus told a story about a demon that went off and came back was seven times worse because he found the door open again. Okay, so you remember way back early or in this recording, he was saying that, um, you know, once Jesus had cast out a demon that, you know, they couldn't come back. And now... You know, Jesus can cast out a demon and a person can end up seven times worse off later on. Yeah, I wasn't really counting on consistency too much here. That door has to be closed. And that's what I usually, if someone has demonic problems, I say, well, let, let's go through the gospel. Let's see what sin is. And then you renounce everything you've been into. Turn from it. Say, God, I'm totally yours. I give myself. I submit myself to your lordship. I present myself as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to you, which is my reasonable service. And that's when you're a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. 
Yeah. No, and I think that's I think that's really powerful. And there are some who would say, well, that's kind of a form of deliverance. Again, it's a spectrum, this this notion of what deliverance is. But you mentioned you know, something there that I thought was interesting. People coming back, obviously, seven times worse than they were before if they if they don't turn away. And there was another story, and I would encourage people to grab out of the comfort zone, read this book, you know, really fascinating. But this other story was about these two girls who had come to you for help when you were in New Zealand. One of the girls you named Jane um, in the book. This story, I mean, one of the quotes is that she was, quote, crawling on her knees, gro- on her hands and knees, groaning, screaming, and making animal-like noises, that, that you witnessed this. And that's just not even the tip of the iceberg of what you saw. Take us through her story, because I do think there's so many layers to it that I think speak to what you were just saying. Yeah. First, I'd say Out of the Comfort Zone isn't about exorcism. It's just one chapter. It's a very sure. exciting, true story that will uh, encourage you. So... Um, I used to preach in the in the square in Christchurch, New Zealand. It was the heart of the city of 350,000 people. I did that every day for about 12 years, almost every day. One day I just finished preaching and two girls came up to me and they looked embarrassed. And I said, can we talk to you about something? And I just said, is it about demons? And they were shocked and said, yes, we think it is. Because one of the girls, Jane, kept having blackouts. And I said, well, come up to my office at two o'clock and we'll talk. And I had us five stories up and I used to... Uh, have something called the Drug Prevention Center, which was originally on High Street, which is an unfortunate choice of street <laughs> names for a drug center. Okay, uh, Ray, I want to give you that one. That's genuinely funny. <laughs> High Street. And we moved to this big dome building five stories up, and I said, come up and see me. So she came up. She came into my office, and we talked for a few minutes, and I said, and she said she had problems, and she hated her father and stuff like that. I says, I'll come back and pray for you because a customer had walked into the Drug Prevention Center. While I was talking to the customer, her friend ran out crying and screaming out that Jane was manifesting. She'd gone into a blackout state and she was crawling on her hands and knees. Like you said, that customer left really quickly. And uh, I went in and and began talking with Jane and uh, praying, exercising prayer and uh, telling her that she needed to get right with God and that she should get rid of her trinket. She was having she had these demonic looking things on it, particularly one thing that caught my eye. It would look like Tinkerbell in the Peter Pan thing. It was like a little fairy that she had around it. It just looked like, I didn't have a clue what it was, but it. Okay. Uh, and, and here we might be at a, a major crack in the um, Christian uh, epistemology armor. Uh, so he's he's looking at the girl, checking her out, uh, notices, you know, catches his eye, this trinket, and he admits, I have no idea what it is. Just seemed demony. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like it, it wasn't a cross. Must have been demony. It, what? Just felt like what a goddess of fertility or something weird like that. So I said, no idea what it is. I don't know. Get rid of that. Yeah, just get rid of that thing. It's you're wearing it around your neck like a cross, but it's not a cross. I don't know where. Just get rid of it. <laughs> That's kind of that will do it, right? And she felt free. And uh, two weeks later, I received a phone call from a friend and said, "Jane is having blackouts again. Can we come and see you?" And it turned out she hadn't become a Christian and she hadn't got rid of that trinket. But I went, <laughs> I went to my office and waited for them, and uh, 
a friend screamed out that Jane had gone into a blackout state halfway up the stairs. And I went down and she was leaning against the wall in a blackout state. So I went to take hold of her and put my hand on her arm and she ran ahead of me. And I'm not exaggerating here. She threw herself over a balcony. It was like a a 15 or 20 foot drop onto a wooden floor. And I instinctively ran after her and tackled her. And I had her around the leg. She was wearing jeans and she was over balance. I don't know how I held on to her. I knew I had my life, her life in my hands. And I screamed out to two friends who were in the drug prevention center to come and help. And we physically carried her to my office, sat her down, and she was in a blackout state, sitting down in my office, manifesting all these different weird demons. And at one point, she was manifesting weird demons. You know, not, the, not like the good, normal demons. It's weird demons, you know. Weird demon. How do you validate that someone is manifesting demons? What is that? What? I mean, do you just say the words and so that's just automatically true? Christians, do you ever ask for more than just that? And the dexterity was quite amazing. With one hand, she reached into a blouse and pulled out a safety pin and under the safety pin and tried to swallow it. I think three times she grabbed cords from uh, from lights in the office and tried to strangle herself. And uh, the demon screamed out, we're going to kill. And I said, you can't touch us because we're Christians. And he said, not you, her. And uh, it was quite horrific, but it climaxed in this. I saw that she was holding onto something around her neck and her knuckles had lost all the blood out of them. They were white. She was holding on so tight. So I opened up a hand. It took me at least 30 seconds with both my hands to open it up. And I saw it was the little Tinkerbell thing. I grabbed it, walked across the other side of the room. And I used to make leather jackets in those days for people to order. And there was an anvil, like a little bit of a railway track, sitting on my desk. I got a hammer, put that trinket on it. I had my back to Jane. She had her eyes closed. These two friends were standing between me and her. And this is no exaggerating. Every time I hit the hammer on that little trinket, the demons in her screamed like you wouldn't believe. Now, notice it was the demons in her and not her, but never mind. I hit it five times, and each time to the very second I hit that trinket with the hammer, the demons in her screamed. I scooped them up, opened the window, and threw them down five stories. But Now, this sounds like uh, malpractice of an exorcist. <laughs> Because you take this highly dangerous token. It doesn't matter if it's in five pieces or, you know, however many pieces it is. This thing is dangerous enough to bind demons to a person. And what do you do? You just scoop it up and toss it out the window. For what? Someone else to get it? <laughs> People... <laughs> People pick it up and carry around pieces of it. Um, what are you doing, man? Wh what? If you're thinking this is fantastic, hard to believe, again, think of me. I'm right in the middle of a horror movie that I couldn't believe was happening. Actually, I think that you're right in the middle of a horror movie that you went to sleep to and mistook as real life. Wow. And... and you know, you, you read these stories and you hear them, You I'm hearing you tell the story and I'm thinking, I can't imagine what it was like to be there in it. And did she eventually find healing and accept the Lord? Yes. And also during that time, we had to stop her from trying to gouge her eyes out. 
seriously getting her fingers and her eyes. It was terrible. Um, yes, uh, she came to, uh, I said, what you have to do, Jane, is renounce, and I named the demon that, she, that had a stronghold in her life. And this time she wanted to become a Christian. She got rid of all the trinkets. And when she left, she was free. I think she, yeah, she came into the center the next day and she was bruised, but she didn't remember a thing from being blacked out through that wow. whole episode. Not a thing. And she was completely free. And I haven't heard of from her for about 40 years. Okay. Um, so now I'm getting ready to conclude this, even though you can see that there's more to this video, but we've reached the point where ridicule of the ridiculous loses its appeal because through this story, the first time I heard this, the first thing that went through my mind, and probably that went through your mind too, dear listener, both Christians and skeptics, is at what point did you call a doctor? When did that happen? When did you uh, dial the equivalent of 911 or wherever you are is it nine 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 or I'm not sure whatever the whatever the uh, emergency number is. You have uh, this person acting out. You have enough people there to restrain her. You are in a city where presumably it would not take too long to get an emergency response, and you see a lot of behavior. That looks a lot like serious mental illness in a person trying to do self-harm for, for whatever reason. Where in this story was your attempt to get a medical professional on the scene? When you had the situation under control, where was your advice to her to see a doctor? Where was your a uh, voluntary effort to take her to a doctor immediately from that to get examined or admit it into a psych ward. Where was any mention or concern about that at all? Because I didn't see it. All I see is a religious nut job seeing someone who is clearly suffering mentally and saying, oh, I got this. There ain't no mental illness. That's sin. That's the devil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast out this demon. And then what makes the story so much worse is, you know, he sees her the next day. She has substantial memory loss, bruised. And he allows her to walk out of his office and never think another thought about her again. For 40 goddamn years. That's Christianity. That is boots on the ground, butts in the pews, Christianity. And it is more demonic an act than any act of demon possession he has described. enough. All right. You know what to do.
skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com or skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. I will see you in the comments until next time. I'm out.